It's the All Things Strange Podcast. Welcome, dear listeners. I am your host, Agent Anderson. Come along to a realm beyond the ordinary and a frequency that resonates with the unexplainable to a place where the veil is thin. You can contact us at allthingsstrange at proton.me and join us on Discord to discuss the strange with the hosts. Links in the description on the link tree. This week's episode, The Bass Straight Triangle. Because it's all it's about, that bass. Bass, about that bass. <laughs> no treble. The, uh, yeah, the no treble triangle. That would be an odd name. So this is an area in Southeast Australia. And unlike the Bermuda Triangle, which is kind of where it gets its name from, it's not really a triangle. It's just an area. They call it the Bass, Bass Straight Triangle because weird stuff happens here more so than it's actually shaped like a triangle. So Southeast Australia, and it's actually the water between Victoria and Tasmania. It's about 190 miles long and 120 miles wide. So it's a pretty big chunk of water there, but it's kind of shallow. I guess the average depth is 160 feet, which is probably more shallow than you might expect for such a wide path of waterway. And I guess because of the shallowness of it combined with like the currents that go through the area and the wind that goes through the area, it's actually a pretty treacherous place and there can be some very short lived tall waves kind of like rogue waves, mm-hmm. but maybe not exactly the same. I don't know. But this area is a major shipping lane that goes through the area because it allows people to sort of cut the corner and cut time off of their shipping routes, I'm guessing. And it probably also has to do with where the cities are in the area. Now, this isn't just a treacherous place, but dozens of ships have actually been lost in the area without a trace. And many hundreds of more have been damaged throughout the years. But there have also been some really strange cases. We'll talk about some of them, but we couldn't possibly do all of them in one episode because there were a surprising number of strange things that happened in the area. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I wasn't very familiar with this, uh, you know, the, the, this triangle here. Uh, but like uh, after I started looking into it, I was like, damn, there's a lot going on here. Yeah, it's got everything. It's got UFOs. It's got strange disappearances. It's got paranormal. It's it's got everything. Uh, we'd actually mm-hmm. have done a couple of episodes in about stuff in this general area. For example, the Westall UFO sighting was mm-hmm. like on the shore of the base straight and the Valentic disappearance was also in this area. So we did an episode on each of those. We're not going to cover those again here because those are whole other topics of in and of themselves. And we already did those episodes on that. So if you're interested, go check it out. You can look them up on our podcast feed. They're there still. Uh, those are both really good topics. The Westall UFO case is probably one of the best, you know, if there's a top five, it has to be in the top five. 
You know, it's one oh, yeah. of one of the best UFO sightings I've ever read about. Yeah, purely just because the amount of people that, that witnessed it, you know? Yeah. And the Valentic disappearance, I'm not convinced it was necessarily having anything to do with the UFO, but the fact is that the recording, the audio recording, has been covered up. That recording probably still exists out there somewhere, and they have not released it. And there supposedly were... Um, like metallic scraping sounds that you heard right before the radio cut off. So why would they not release that audio unless they're trying to hide something? I don't know. It's a weird case. So check it out. But all right. So this episode was voted upon by our Patreon subscribers. We've got three tiers for you. The first tier gets you early access and after hours when applicable. We don't always have after hours because sometimes people have appointments or it's running late or somebody has to go do something or whatever, but we do sometimes. A lot of the times we do. I'd say probably like 80% of the time we have after hours. And um, the early access is whenever I finish editing, it goes up. It's not on a set schedule. It's whenever I finish it because <laughs> I don't edit on a set schedule. The medium tier gets you bonus episodes and the top tier gets you the ability to vote on upcoming topics. And this time around, it was actually a tie. It was between this and um, what was the other one? Uh, oh, the hitchhiker effect. That's going to be a fun one. But because it was a tie, I figured uh, this one was voted on first and then the hitchhiker effect was voted on second. So I'll do hitchhiker effect next week as a bonus episode. That'll be fun. It's a pretty interesting topic, kind of creepy. And no, we're not we're not talking about uh, what's that guy's name? Christopher Walken. That's it. Look, yeah. Oh. <laughs> ETA doesn't mean Christopher Walken on on occasion. <laughs> um, hey, from time to time. Yeah, from time when the mood strikes him. But yeah, so that's our Patreon. If you'd like to support the show and get extra stuff, go check us out. All right, let's get into it. Now, I don't know what you looked at, ETA, so I'll just go in sort of chronological order and we can go along. What's the first thing you looked at? Uh, the, well, the main one that I looked at was the uh, disappearance of the airliner, Miss Hobart. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. All right. Yeah, so. I'm going kind of in chronological order here, so when we get to that one, I'll pass it off to you. All right. All right, so the first thing that I found was in 19, no, 19, no, 1797. So a long time ago in 1797, there was a ship called Sydney Cove and it wrecked on preservation Island in the East of the Strait. Two ships, the Francis and the Eliza were sent out to rescue survivors. But after they took on survivors, the Eliza set sail for Sydney but disappeared on the journey and was never seen again. No wreckage, no survivors, no trace of anything. It was just gone. The Francis, however, made it back. So whoever got on that boat was lucky. I guess um, Melbourne, Melbourne? I think they say Melbourne in Australia. They say, uh, they don't say Melbourne. They say I think, Melbourne, I think. Pretty sure. I, I think you're right. I don't know. I'm not not too familiar with it. Yeah. Aussie Mima says bass like the fish, by the way. So it's the bass straight triangle. You heard it from, uh, okay, yeah. you heard it from a local. And she also said, yep. I think she was talking about the Melbourne thing. It's Melbourne. Yeah. Okay, cool. That's what I thought. I wasn't hundred percent sure about that. Cause when, uh, with my California accent here, I'd be more likely to say Melbourne. Cause that's just how it looks. But then again, 
the the English say aluminium, so you can't always go by how things are spelled. <laughs> but uh, Melbourne, yeah, I don't know where, whether to make uh, heads or tails out of the, uh, aluminum or aluminium. I mean, they both sound just fine to me. I don't I don't, s- I don't see any iun or ium in there though. I mean, I don't even know how you'd spell that. I kind of like <laughs> I kind of like the uh, the pronunciation though aluminium. You know, uh-huh. I kind of like it. Oh, yeah, it's it's a weird one. It's a weird one for sure. It kind of throws me off when I hear it. But uh, well, the only place I really hear it is on uh, Michael Bisbing's podcast, which I listen to on occasion. But oh, yeah. <laughs> speaking of, maybe we can talk about on the after hours. Um, Anthony Smith has a fight coming up not too long from here, and there's a pretty decent card coming up tomorrow night as well. But they'll maybe save that for the after hours. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, Melbourne was founded in 1835. And when that happened, it increased the traffic going through the strait. And then, of course, you had more incidences and more um, more disappearances and more weird stuff happening in general because there were more people in the area. From 1838 to 1840, seven ships were lost, but only three were ever found. So four of those ships just disappeared into thin air. And um, moving forward a little bit here, this is, so apologies, this is like, this episode, I have to do sort of like a summary of all these events because there are so many events, there are multiple events on this episode that we could legit do a whole episode on, but we're not doing specific stuff, we're doing the the Bass Strait Triangle, so we kind of have to cover a whole bunch of stuff, so we can't go into a whole lot of depth. So let's skip ahead to February 1858. The HMS Sapo or S A P P H O Sap Sapfo. Uh, how would you say that ETA? Sap Sapfo, I think. Sapfo. Okay. <laughs> the HMS Sapfo was seen at the western entrance of the base strait. There, then it just disappeared. It it never got to where it was going. It just sort of went away. Nobody knows where it went. There was an extensive search effort, but they didn't know what he ever found anything. There was another, yeah. and you know, yeah, that's that's a, a common thread between all, a lot of these uh, these incidents where they don't find too much evidence. So there is some evidence that has been found in uh, some of these these uh, disappearances and stuff, but like uh, typically, and, and this has been explained away. Uh, I've I've seen the explanation where you have like fast currents and stuff, and a lot of the evidence may have just washed out to sea, you know, yeah. because this is a, a, a shallow area, com, you know, compared to the oceans around it, you know, but it does have strong currents. It has a strong, uh, um, yeah, there's a lot of this strong wind that goes through this area and stuff. And a lot of the weather, weather that happens in this area is short, uh, strong. And, you know, it doesn't last for, for too long. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't, but mm-hmm. You know, things happen real fast here as far as as the weather goes, you know? Yeah. And I mean, it's definitely possible that a lot of these ships were lost to just bad weather or bad navigation charts. They crashed on rocks and then the ship just sunk and was never found. But there are some really curious and interesting mysteries in the area where... It seems it seems like there's something else going on. I mean, anything's possible, and I understand the skeptical explanations, but it's there's a lot of really weird stuff in the area as well. Yeah. It's it's kind of too much to believe it's all just sort of natural causes, but I don't know. Yeah. Anything's possible. Well, I think 
I think especially some of the earlier disappearances of ships and stuff certainly could have been caused by, like, like you had said, bad charts. There's a lot of coral reefs in the area, a lot of rocky structures and stuff. And maybe they just didn't know what they were heading into and they accidentally, you know, hit something and sunk, you know? I mean, that certainly could be a possibility, you know, especially in the early days. But later on, though, uh, it gets less and less likely, I think. Yeah. Kind of a, a... Don Snow says pirates, and that's a possibility, but from what I understand, pirates didn't necessarily murder everybody on board, and they didn't necessarily scuttle the ships and sink them to the bottom of the ocean. In fact, quite often they would capture the ships and offer crews, yeah. uh, you know, the crews of those ships that they took over, they would offer them um, the chance to, you know, serve with them. And actually, the reason why that was often successful is because... Uh, I, I, am not up to speed on my history here, so I'm not trying to be an authority on this, but at some point in naval history, it was extremely common for nations to encounter, let's say a merchant vessel, and then to impress those sailors into a military vessel against their will. They would just, they would encounter a a merchant vessel, for example, and just be like, okay, you guys are now going to work on this ship as, you know, basically as our Navy, whether or not you want to. And it was sort of an interesting, I don't know, sort of like a slavery form of slavery or something like they didn't want to, they just wanted to do their merchant stuff and make money. But that was a real thing. They used to impress people all the time during, especially during wartime. So if your ship was captured and you had been impressed against your will, you might just decide to go pirate for a little bit until you could get back home to your family. And if you didn't have have a family to go back to, you might just decide to go pirate for a little bit and make a boat ton of, butt ton of money or whatever, you know? Again, I'm not an authority on the topic, but that's what I understand how it worked. But again, it, it could be pirates. I mean, that's a possibility if there's like a naval battle and like the, the pirates shot the other ship down and it sunk. I mean, that's another possibility. But I think the pirates wanted to capture it more than sink them because they wanted the stuff on the ship. But it's oh, yeah. the stuff, the stuff on the ship and the ship itself too. It's much more uh, efficient to capture a ship than build a ship. You know, if you even have yeah. the money to do that, you know. Yeah, but I mean, there's a lot of possibilities. It's always fun just to say what if, you know, what if, and pirates. That's it mm-hmm. could be very well could be. All right, so um, there's another one in 1906. I couldn't find very much on this one other than it was a German cargo ship that disappeared in 1906, and uh, it just disappeared, vanished into thin air like the other ones. Uh, Maybe if I dug a little deeper, I don't know, but I couldn't really find anything on that. September, fast forward a little bit to September 10th, 1920, the SS Amelia disappeared, and while searching for it, the SS Southern Cross and Airco DH-9A, which is a single-engine light bomber, both of those also disappeared. The SS mm-hmm. Southern Cross was eventually found on King Island. The wreckage of it was. But the Amelia and the Airco airplane were never found. They just disappeared into thin air. So we saw, we saw this when we were talking about um, the Bermuda Triangle, where you'd have a couple of, you know, like uh, something would go missing, and then something that went searching for it would also go missing. <laughs> it's really weird. Mm-hmm. Really, yeah, really it's weird. Yeah, it's happening quite a few times in this area. Yeah. All right. Now, this may or may not be connected, but around the times the, when this particular, the SS Amelia, 
people in the area noticed that, or they witnessed strange lights in the skies over the Bass Strait. Now, nobody saw an alien abducting anybody, so who knows? It could be anything. It could just be a coincidence, right? Hey, Agent Redacted is making noise. I apologize to the listeners. It's his fault. (laughs) But um, it was his idea, by the way. We just did a bonus episode. uh, uh, Or no, that was our extra episode, Battle of the Bands. It was Agent Redacted's idea. He, it's coming out in um, the Monday after next, I think. But um, he wanted to talk about the band Mayhem. Are you familiar with them, ETA? I am not, no. It was a pretty insane black, is still a pretty insane black metal band. We talk about it on the show. I talked about uh, whether or not Led Zeppelin were devil worshipers. <laughs> and uh-huh, uh-huh. and um, I actually have um, Led Zeppelin 3 on vinyl because I'm a big fat nerd. <sighs> <laughs> but it says, you know, I read that it says on the, the inner part of the record, it has inscribed on there, like, do what thou willst, which is um, an Aleister Crowley thing. And I was like, no shit. So I busted out my vinyl. I'm like, it does. It actually says that on there. And I posted a picture on Discord. Really? Yeah. Which is pretty interesting. And it talked about some other things on there. Like, apparently, um, Jimmy Page was a pedophile. And I don't know. It's It was... Kind of a fun episode. Um, Agent Ether talked about Blink-182 and Tom DeLonge. So it was a lot of fun. There's enough bands that did enough crazy stuff. I definitely think we could do a whole series of Battle of the Bands, <laughs> you know? But yeah. well, anyways, that episode is upcoming. Or, or if you're listening to this, actually, uh, other than the few people that are listening to this live, by the time you listen to this, Battle of the Bands will have already come out because this one will come out after that. But... Um, Confusing timeline. I don't know, whatever, but it was a fun episode to record. Uh, we did it while you were at work, unfortunately, so you couldn't come on, but, uh, you know, yeah. is what it is, but all right, back to the bass straight base. No bass bass straight triangle. Uh, let's see that. Yep. Lights in the skies. I talked about that. Oh yeah. Now we are at the miss Hobart. Do you want to, do you want to take over this one? Agent ETA? Oh, sure. Yeah. So, uh, Miss Hobart was, was a, uh, a, a, a DH 86, um, plane. It was a 12 passenger plane. Um, the original model that came out was a single pilot, but, uh, I believe this one that had crashed or went missing was a, a, a dual pilot setup. And, uh, it was known as a very reliable plane for its day. It had four it had, engines. Um, four, yeah, yeah four, four engines. engines. And um, it had four Gypsy 6 engines where uh, it, it was actually, you know, it was a decent sized plane, had four engines, and it was like, it was, pre- it was known as being pretty fast and very reliable. And some of the uh, the theories that people had had was that like they had lost engine failure. That was a cause for the problem. But experts at the time had basically said like, that's pretty much impossible that all four engines would, would fail at the same time. It's just not going to happen. Maybe they would like in successive order, but not all at the same time, you know? Yeah. And to, to compound that, um, I'd have to look back at the historical design of this airplane, but in general, airplanes are designed with redundancies. So for example, the Magneto, which is the Magneto is what it's kind of like the distributor, it generates the spark for the spark plugs. Basically they got two of mm-hmm. them on each engine and they got two spark plugs in each cylinder because that way, if one magneto fails, the other one will still operate. 
and you'll still be able to fly, right? So everything as much yeah. as possible is redundant on the airplane. So it's kind of like you have eight engines. And like ETA said, the chances of all of those failing, very low. Yeah, very, very low. And and even though this is still like, you know, relatively pretty early on in aviation history, it was 1934. So the incident uh, happened basically on uh, October 19th, 1934. Was, uh, that, that was the date that they realized that, that uh, Miss Hobart was gone and it was, it was missing, hadn't landed at its... Uh, it's a, you know, destination yet. So that's when the alarm bells, I guess, were rung, you know. And so it had left uh, the West Junction Airport at 9 a.m. Um, en route to Tasmania. And uh, they had, uh, it was a 12-passenger plane. They had uh, 11 people on board. It was uh, seven men, um, two women, a small child, I think, and uh, the two pilots. Does that add up? Anyways, whatever. So, um yeah, plane, I, I saw like that. I, said, I saw that it had twelve, or no, I saw that it had ten passengers and two pilots. But I also saw another one that said it yeah. had like nine passengers. So I saw a couple of different accounts yeah, myself. I, yeah, I, I did too, and I was kind of confused, and I wasn't quite sure, like, like you know, exactly the the number of people on board. But it was a, it was around ten or eleven or something, you know. Yeah. So at any rate, uh, it's it's a you know a, a tragedy still no matter how many people were on board you know it's a a plane that went missing and they they never really found any evidence of the wreckage uh not much at least like there there was a, an oil slick that had been found and they had recovered some of the this oil slick to see if it was like potentially part of like the oil that was in the the uh, plane in the engines but I, I never all the the different articles and stuff that I had read about this. Uh, I, I didn't see any evidence that they had been able to confirm that, like this was an actual like you know it was oil from the plane. You know. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, they had they had s some radio transmissions and stuff, and um, there wasn't a whole lot there as far as like this isn't one of those like UFO type ones, uh, but. They they did make a transmission saying that they heard like a before they went silent on the radio at least uh, like they heard like a large or loud buzzing noise and this could have been maybe like a a you know a problem with the engines or something like that or uh, a mechanical problem of some sort I mean that that could be a thing but they you know had supposedly described as being, you know, it sounded like another plane that was around them. They couldn't see anything. They didn't ever report that. But uh, they they heard like a loud buzzing noise. And the last transmission that they actually um, sent out was, it said, uh, quote, over Redondo is dot, 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 all's well. So it, this, this as far as the radio transmissions and stuff that they had put out, like there wasn't, anything that would make you, uh, you know, think that they had any problems going on, really nothing serious, at least, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and radio yeah, goes pretty far. <laughs> We're not talking about the AM FM stuff in your car. There's all yeah. sorts of, all sorts of radio waves that, you know, different wavelengths that they use and the ones uh -huh. they use for airplanes go pretty far. So if there was some kind of mechanical trouble, unless the plane in, imploded instantly, they would probably have radioed that they were having mechanical problems because usually yeah. when there's mechanical problems, the plane does not fail instantly. Sometimes it does, but usually it does not. 
Yeah, yeah. And and there was a large uh, search effort to to find this plane. There were six planes that had been employed to try to find uh, Miss Hobart there, including its uh, sister plane, uh, Miss... And I don't know if I'm pronouncing this correct. Uh, it was uh, Miss... Uh, Piggy? Longkesten? Longkesten? Monchesten, Longkesten. I don't know. I don't know how to pronounce that word. Anyways, <laughs> it was a sister. It was a sister plane to Miss Hobart. Well, let's just let's just I don't call how to it, pronounce Hobart. Let's just call it the Miss Piggy. I think that's better. Wee <laughs> <laughs> oh, wee. <laughs> yeah, but like like I said, these these planes for its time were were very well respected. They had a lot of redundancy, and and they were known as as being well built planes. You know, so. Some people say they they think that possibly maybe it might have ran out of fuel or it had a fuel leak, but I mean I think it's more because it's more likely if that is if that was a concern maybe it had a fuel leak. Yeah. But it's, oh, excuse me, I had a burp. Anyways, it's it's actually pretty well documented that before this flight, like they had done a bunch of tests on the plane and stuff because this this plane was not a very old plane at all. It was it was pretty new, you know. It very new, actually. Yeah, it was very, very and, new. Um, yeah, I think it had been uh, built in 1933, just the year before. So, but but at any rate, like the the everything had checked out on the plane. They had done a lot of testing and stuff, and and it didn't seem to have any issues at all in any way, any way, shape, or form. So for it to just go down and just come up missing, like for no unexplained reason, just didn't make any sense to some people. So. You know that you know later year years later before you know after that like uh people did you know some people say like hey i think it's a ufo because there has been in this area like we had talked about before there's so many ufo experiences and stuff like that and the way that some people have gone missing in this area and you know vessels or airplanes uh the way that they have gone missing doesn't make a whole lot of sense you know yeah, and you don't find any 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 wreckage. You don't find you, you certainly don't find the bodies of these individuals. It's almost like some of these some of these experiences that people have had here, some of the, the disappearances. It almost seems like the people are just like plucked out of the plane, and that, that actually kind of, in a way, kind of makes sense to me. You know, like the way that some of these stories have happened, or it appears that they have happened. Like it seems like the reason why this plane or vet, you know vessel has like gone missing it's almost like that people were abducted off of this plane or something like that and that's the reason why it crashed it was it wasn't because you know they had like you know a, a malfunction mechanically or something like that yeah but i mean i mean we had talked about like like this area is a very busy area with, with shipping and and with airplanes and like i mean there's a lot there's a lot of traffic here but there's also at the same time a lot of missing vehicles and stuff and people that just like 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 it doesn't make sense also with, with the hobart case case also it was described that like flying conditions the weather was perfect like there was no serious weather there wasn't any serious wind speeds like it seemed to have been the perfect day to fly but yet this vehicle this brand new airplane still came up missing uh, presumably it crashed in the ocean. Yeah. The weather like was just perfect. Did, yeah. It, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense why this vehicle would have had this mishap, you know? Yeah. Why it would have pot potentially crashed or whatever, you know, it's, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah. 
So I did find also that apparently the pilots, there are two pilots. The captain was actually the owner of the company the who that was operating the airplane that, um, uh-huh. let's see. So it was uh, um, Holloman. So uh, VC Holloman was the owner of Airways PTY Limited or LTD, PTY LTD. So PTY stands for... Um, proprietary? I don't know. I think that's an Australian company term. I don't think we don't use PTY here, but LTD is limited. So it was a, it was a company that he was, the captain was the owner of the company. And then the, um, the co-pilot was, um, let's see his name is, it was an experienced veteran of the Royal Australian air force and the Canadian air force. And his Mm -hmm. name was Gilbert Jenkins. So we have, the owner and a very experienced pilot, neither one of which is going to go on an airplane if it's about to crash because of mechanical problems. Mm-hmm. You know, they do all kinds of pre-flight checks and stuff. It's, it's just kind of interesting. So these were not like greenhorns. These were people who knew what they were doing, you know? And I also saw an interesting event when they were searching a steamer, like a steamship saw two flares at, uh, at lip trap. But when they went close to the beach, there was nothing there. They didn't see anything. At first, people got kind of hopeful because, you know, if these people crashed and got off the airplane and survived, then they might use flares to signal for help to a passing ship. Mm. But uh, But it was was also confirmed later on that the, um, the Hobart didn't carry flares on it. Yes, exactly. They did not have flares. So I thought that was kind of weird and mysterious because... As I talked about in a previous incident, people see strange lights all the time in this area. So mm-hmm. that's kind of weird. Uh, I don't know what to make of it, but, you know, it could be a couple of kids goofing around with a flare gun on the beach. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's kind of weird, though. And they also had an official inquiry. Did you read anything about that, Agent ETA? Yeah, I had heard it mentioned in a couple articles I looked at, but I didn't look into the inquiry all that much, to be honest. I know that they had found some debris um, in the sea, but they weren't weren't they were not able to basically say that it came from this plane. You know, yeah, a plane was flying, looking. You know, one of the search planes saw something floating on the water, but it could have been anything. It could have been some sticks or some. You know, some mud, yeah. it could have been a piece of the plane. It could have been anything. It might have been the plane. It might not have been. They don't know for sure because they were not able to come back and find it. And this this was not a plane that could land on the water. It tried to swoop down to see, but they couldn't tell. But the official inquiry mm-hmm. that was open on October 30th, and they looked at everything from weather to the records of the airplane to see if there was a mechanical problem that was known about. They were not able to find anything at all to explain the disappearance. And they came to the determination that the plane crashed because of strong headwinds. I mean, yeah, I guess that happens. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I've never heard of that I happening. Mean, hell, I mean, hell it's, it's possible. <laughs> I guess you know, like, I'm not, I, I'm no expert in this, you know, but like, I don't know. That, that, that sounds a, a little ridiculous, just a little bit, only a little bit. You know, so I, I, don't I know. get, but, but what do I know? You know, I get the impression that they were under pressure to find an explanation and there was no explanation possible. So they came up with the most likely thing they could think of, you know, <laughs> yeah. like 
couldn't have been a rogue wave because they were flying so strong headwinds. It's like a rogue wave in the sky, I guess. <laughs> you know? <Yeah. laughs> All right. Anything else on that incident, Agent ETA? Uh, I mean, I think we've we've covered the gist of it at least. You know, I mean, you can get more into the weeds with it, but it's about it. Yeah. All right. We got plenty more. So 1935, the Leona airliner crashed into the water near Flinders Island. Now this one's kind of weird though, because it went down after it had radioed the tower and said that it was on approach to land. But after it radioed that it went radio silent. So they, you know, the tower was not able to contact them again and it just went down. Now the, they did eventually find a little bit of wreckage from the plane, but they did not find any of the people on board. And agent ETA was just talking about this. The people appeared to be just gone. And there was missing. There was one patch on, I guess in the carpet inside, like a very small burned patch that may or may not have had anything to do with anything. It could have happened maybe, you know, two weeks prior, somebody had dropped a cigarette. That's not the sort of thing that is going to merit an immediate repair. You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. it could have been anything. Maybe it was related. Maybe it was not. Who knows? But the strangest thing is that the wreckage was found, but the people were not. And it just kind of screams, you know, maybe they were somehow taken off the plane. That's pretty much speculation, but it also kind of makes you wonder, you know, why, why were the people not found? Well, and I also remember uh, reading in an article about this case or this particular um, event that like parts of the plane, some of the records that was found was like twisted up in a way that didn't necessarily really make sense. Like as far as like a, a plane, like when a plane crashes, like, like uh, things are pulverized, you know what I mean? Like uh, they're, they're, you're going to twist up some, some stuff. Right. But the way that some of this wreckage was, was found didn't, to the investigators didn't make sense necessarily, you know? Yeah. Yeah. If you've never seen a documentary on this, there's a couple of them where the, um, the NTSB will take something like a 737 that crashed and then meticulously piece together all of the bits they can find. And they totally reconstruct the airplane and they can tell by the way the metal was fatigued by the way the damage was done, they can tell how the damage was done, what caused the accident, you know, and mm-hmm. there will be damage to the the skin of the airplane. There'll be damage to the support structures. If there was a fire, there will be evidence of that. So um, I know this was a while ago, but I can't imagine that they didn't know what metal fatigue looked like back then and things like that. So that's pretty interesting detail. Mm-hmm. All right, next up, World War II. Unfortunately, I did not see <laughs> Agent Ether's, uh, she went outside, she's looking at me. Um, so during World War II, we talked about before the Foo Fighters, which unfortunately I didn't see any reports of that specifically in this area, which was, you know, I was kind of bummed out about. But um, I there were 17 planes lost in the area despite yeah. the lack of any enemy forces. <laughs> and yeah. And a lot of them seem to have been lost during like uh like training, 
they were going like a, on like a low altitude bombing runs and stuff, you know? Yeah. Which is plausible that new pilots doing dangerous maneuvers that you probably shouldn't be doing. Uh, <laughs> it's plausible that they would lose control of their plane and crash. Right. But you think they would have found those planes as well. I don't know. I'm sure they found some of them. I didn't see yeah. how many went missing, but some of them did. In 1942, an Australian fighter pilot was sent to investigate reports of strange lights. While looking oh, around boy. the area, he saw a huge bronze disc emerge from the clouds and fly alongside his plane. After a couple of minutes, it flew off quickly and disappeared. Hmm. Kind of weird. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then there's another, uh, another incident from the 40s. In 1944, a Bristol Beaufort bomber was flying in the area. And the crew reported that a strange shadow came out of nowhere and flew beside the plane for 20 minutes before it shot up at tremendous speed and disappeared. Now, I found this particular report to be extremely interesting because it would stand to reason that an advanced civilization coming to observe us would use some sort of stealth technology. Because if you're going to be observing something, let's, let's not worry about whether or not their technology is so advanced that they don't have to worry about us attacking them. That's probably uh -huh. the case. But if they're observing us, they're going to want to observe us without being seen, possibly, because they want to Maybe. see us in our natural habitat. They don't want to interfere. They want to study, right? Yeah. It really depends on what their intentions are. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's a good point. Like, so I, I guess uh, whatever they're trying to accomplish would, would, you know, really influence that, that interaction. Yeah. In way. But it's a, it's a weird one. And that's, I mean, there's probably more to that case if I dug deeper, but that's, you know, that's the short, short, short version. And it also creeped me out and made me think, what if, a lot of the UFO sightings we do see are ships that, uh, you know, spacecrafts that have a cloaking mechanism that somehow malfunctioned. And that's why they behave yeah. the way they do. They might hover in an area, but then when they see that people are reacting to them, they say, oh shit, our, uh, you know, our thingamajig just failed. We better get the heck out of here, you know? So that's, or, yeah. or maybe the reason like for the confusion as far as what we're actually seeing is the theory that potentially these beings, whether you, whatever you want to call them, aliens or whatever, maybe they reside in a different dimension than we do. Like, so right. they're only able to interact with us in a certain way because they, they can't fully interact with us. They, they're in a, a higher dimension than we reside in, you know? Yeah. That's another, definitely another possibility. Whatever the case Having a shadow fly next to the plane for 20 minutes creeps me the fuck out. I do not like that oh, yeah. one bit. <laughs> you oh, know? for sure, yeah. And, and you know, that, that notion that I just mentioned right there actually makes a lot of sense because what doesn't make sense is, you know, aliens traveling from point A to point B. And we've talked about this before on the show, you know. Uh, it doesn't make sense if the, if the universe is what we think it is. Solar systems are so spread far apart 
then point A to point B travel just doesn't make sense. It would take too long. Yeah. You'd have to have like some kind of different travel uh, mechanism or method to make you, you know, go over these long distances with, you know, much faster than, than we think, you know? Yeah. And also <clears throat> traveling great distances by our physics, we could actually probably do it because all you need to do is to be able to accelerate for a really long time. So you could, if you accelerate at, let's say one G for a month or two, you could probably get up to a, a decent percentage of the speed of light. Right. But uh. the problem with that is, is if you went somewhere on a spaceship that was 10 light years away and came back by the time you came back because of time dilation, which we talked about before, um, you would have aged, let's say 10 years, but everybody you ever met would be gone because of time yeah, dilation. Long gone. So nobody wants to do that. I mean, well, there's, they could probably find people, but in general, I think there's not a whole lot of people who think that's a good idea, which is why there's probably not a whole lot of money put into that sort of research because we don't want to do that. We want some sort of propulsion that can get us there and back again to see our families again. You know, we don't want to just leave our families behind because that's no, nobody wants to do that yeah. or hardly anybody. I should say, I'm sure you'd have a few yeah, people. Unless, unless you have no family or friends or anything like that that you care about. And you're, you know, you're like, all right, yeah, let's go on this journey. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's another possibility. And it'd be funny because I wonder if by the time you got back, technology would have advanced so far. People would be like, Hey dude, if you'd waited another 20 years, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you wouldn't have had to do that, but I don't know. Yeah, you missed out. Yeah. Somebody's always got to do it first. There's a lot of ideas about how we could achieve travel close to the speed of light just by accelerating over a long period of time, you know, like solar sails and things like that. But that's a whole other topic. Maybe we'll get to it at some point. I don't know, but all right. Mm -hmm. Up next, in 1978, actually on October 21st, the same day as the Valentic disappearance, Roy Manifold took a picture of a strange object in the sky. His son, Jason, stayed outside after the picture was taken just to kind of watch the sky. You know, they didn't have video games back then like they do these days. They probably had an Atari or something. I don't know. It, it's... <laughs> You can only play Pac-Man for so long. Trust me. So <laughs> more people probably enjoyed scenery uh, yeah. back then as opposed, as opposed to now. Yeah. But yeah, Rory Manifold didn't even notice that he uh, had captured anything in his picture until actually he had it developed. No, that's true. But to be fair, I looked at the picture and to me kind of just looks like a cloud unless I'm missing the UFO in the I picture. Mean, <laughs> you know what I mean? It kind of looks like maybe a, uh, maybe a bumblebee or yeah. something. Or, yeah. It, you know, I mean, it's not very convincing. No. Honest, yeah. Me. No, it's not very convincing to me either. But what is kind of weird though, is when his son was outside, he heard the sound of a plane engine overhead, but he didn't see any airplane. He just heard a phantom engine sound. And when the, the engine did not fade out or fade away slowly, it just suddenly stopped. And yeah, yeah. He said, he said, uh, I think he was quoted as like saying like the, the sound just turned off. Like, like you just turn off a radio. Yeah. Just flip the switch. Yeah. And that's somewhat similar to what they reported in the, the Miss Hobart plane that you were talking about 
It's some people make the connection there and some people make, try to make a connection to the Valentic disappearance, but we don't really know whether or not they were connected or not, but could be that could be somehow that if his plane was sucked into a different dimension, maybe the sound still carried on for a little bit. I don't know. There's all kinds of possibilities, but when you get right down to it, we just don't know. Yeah. All right. Moving right along in December, 1979, a yacht named the Charleston vanished without a trace. It was supposed to arrive in Sydney for new year's Eve, but it failed to arrive and they did a search for it because it was expected. They sent out boats and planes. It was a fairly large search effort, but they never found any trace whatsoever. And that's another one that I'm sure there's a lot more to that story, but go ahead and Google the Charleston <laughs> and see what pops up. Um, I would need a lot more time than I had for this episode to, <laughs> to Google that, to search for information on that particular incident, because the Charleston brings up all kinds of stuff. It would take forever. All right. Next oh, up, yeah. um, this one, this is one that was more modern. So in March, 2011, uh, a lady named Rachel Fanari disappeared from Bruny Island. Did you hear about this one, Agent ETA? I'm not familiar with this one, no. All right. This one is kind of weird. So I guess she used the website couch surfing to find spare rooms or couches to, you know, when she was traveling and she traveled mm -hmm. around a lot, seeing different places. So that was kind of her thing. She would go places, do stuff. You know, she was young. I think she was in her twenties. If I remember correctly, I, I should have notated that, but Hey man, she was living the life, you know? So why not? Mm -hmm. So she went from Melbourne to Hobart on March 1st. Uh, she was just planning a trip to Tasmania in general. On March 9th, her friends reported her missing because she hadn't shown up where she was supposed to. Now, they started a search and they narrowed it to the island. After her disappearance was published in a local newspaper, the Mercury, a witness actually came forward to the police and said that he had let her stay at his holiday shack on Bruny Island. So it turns out he had met Rachel when she had asked him where she could catch the bus to Bruny Island. So just, you know, they struck up a conversation. One thing led to another and she ended up, no, no, not quite, not quite how it happened. So <laughs> <laughs> she was actually, um, what well, he offered to drive her because he was going with his daughter for a day trip to Bruny Island anyways. So he said, why don't you just come along with us? We'll just take you there. Right. And it turns out she was planning to camp out, but the weather was really bad that day. So the man said, you know what, why don't you just stay in our shack? I guess they had like a holiday shack, you know, it's close to the beach or whatever. So very generous of this fellow. He said, yeah, just go mm -hmm. ahead and stay at our place instead of having to sleep out in this rain or whatever. And they had lunch with her and they left at three 30 to go back home. And that's the last time anybody saw Rachel. And it, you might think, okay, the, the last person to see them alive is usually a pretty strong suspect, but I mean, he came forward to the police and if he was involved in any foul play, that would be very unlikely for him to do so. I mean, I would imagine, I don't know. So the police found the shack and they searched it and it turns out pretty much all of her stuff was there. 
her backpack, her clothing, her belongings, even her purse with money in it. So that kind mm. of rules out like a robbery or something like that because nothing was taken, right? There was no signs of violence. There was no signs of struggle. In fact, the bed didn't even look like it had been slept in. So the place was like pristine. It looks like she just went there, dropped off her stuff, and just disappeared. Now, the authorities think that what happened was that Rachel left to go on a hike that's pretty close to where she was staying, like the trailhead or whatever, starts right where she was staying. It's called she the- She went on a walkabout? Yeah, a little walkabout, yeah. The Fluted Cape Track. I guess that's the name of the trail. And it goes towards a large cliff known as the Fluted Cape. And I looked up some pictures, and it looks amazing. It's so beautiful. It's, when I say large cliff face, by the way, I mean about 890 feet above the ocean. So that's, it's big. It's like, like skyscraper big. It's huge, really big. Now at the edge of the cliff, there are no barriers. It was raining that day and there are often pine needles on the ground. So the authorities think there's a good chance that while she was on top of the cliff, she got too close to the edge and just slipped right off. Now, I I guess it's possible. Anything's possible. But the problem I have with that theory is that she wasn't, there's no evidence that she was like drinking alcohol. She was an experienced traveler and I, I find it hard to believe that she would just go so close to the edge when it, everything's wet and slippery that she would just fall mm-hmm. right off. It's, it's possible. I'm not ruling it out, but I'm saying it, it's hard to believe at the same time for somebody who's an yeah, experienced traveler to make that mistake. It's definitely, it's definitely possible, but w- wouldn't it also, and, and I haven't seen these pictures of these cliffs or whatever, but at the bottom, I, I mean, is, uh, uh, if it's at least accessible, wouldn't you be able to easily find the body? Yeah. And the cliffs do not go straight down. There's like, oh, there's, okay. So it's kind of sloped and it looks like there's sort of like levels as you go down. So, oh different terraces of sorts. It's possible that she landed and got stuck on the cliff somewhere, I suppose, but there was quite an extensive search. They used planes. They used boats. They used people on foot. They used infrared cameras at night. People searched the bushes in the air, the bush in the area. They used climbers, climbers, climbers helped search the cliffs. They looked everywhere. They had divers looking under the water. They looked on the shores, anywhere she might have washed up. They even brought in police dogs to look for her scent, but they found nothing. Mm. Not even a- Those police dogs should have been pretty helpful because they had her property back at that shack. Yeah. They could have, they obviously, you know, would have, would have used that to, to get the dogs familiar with her scent. Yeah. They didn't find her clothes. They didn't find, I guess she had a camera that she probably had taken with her. Not a scrap. They found nothing. The police did a full forensic examination of the shack. They canvassed the area, interviewing neighbors or anybody else they thought might have had contact with her. They didn't find anything. They found no evidence of foul play. 
There's no forensic evidence in the, the cabin or the shack that made any crime likely or possible. Nothing. She just, she was gone. And strangely enough, once again, strange lights were witnessed in the area the day she disappeared. But that's what I was about to say. Alien, alien abduction. That's what it sounds like it could have been, but nobody can connect those strange lights to her disappearance because she was apparently alone when she disappeared. No witnesses ever come forward saying they saw her, you know, whatever happened to her. They, nobody ever saw it. So we just don't know, but all right, that's all I got on that one. And that's, it's a weird one. And it kind of creeps me out because I mean, maybe she just fell down the cliff, but I mean, come on, dude. Like, did somebody push her down the cliff? What's going on here? It's so weird. It just doesn't make any sense, but all right. That's all the events that I kind of took notes on, but there's a lot of stuff we didn't cover that happened in the Bass street, Bass street, Bass straight triangle, such as the 1978 Tasmania, Victoria UFO wave. (laughs) There's, there's Mm -hmm. quite a lot that we didn't get to. But there's only so much time in one episode. So, you know, who knows? Maybe at some point we'll do a part two to this. But, or more likely we'll cover individual cases from the area in the future because there's just, yeah, there's so much. Like, I didn't realize how much weird stuff had happened in this area. And, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, f- I forgot to notate who requested this topic. One of our listeners requested this topic. So thank you for the suggestion because it was a really good one. Um, I don't, I don't know if it was Aussie Mima, but that she's our Australian correspondent by this point. <laughs> so I could have yeah. been, could have been her requesting it. Um, but all right, well, I guess that's about all we got for you this time. Any, any final thoughts or anything we didn't talk about yet? Agent ETA. Well, I mean, uh, for me, this one, like I had said before, this was really an eye opener. You know, like, like, uh, I, I didn't realize how much is going on in this area and it really sparked my interest. You know, I think there was, there was a couple cases here. Like you said, like we could definitely do an episode on, on a, a bunch of different cases and stuff. I didn't realize that this area was so active. You know, I, I think that a lot of like the, uh, the ships that have gone down in particular, uh, especially early on, you know, like, you know, um, I think it's probably due more to weather and uh bad charting just because they weren't familiar enough with the area the the coral reefs are around the rocky structures are in the water i think a lot of that is probably you know that's the reason why ships like they just ran it ran aground or what have you but there is plenty going on here that is very suspect in the circumstances in which some of these uh these these disappearances and such have happened and doesn't necessarily make sense now i'm sure that there's possible reasonable explanations for for some of this stuff but there like i said there's enough going on here where this is this area in general is very interesting and actually like uh i would love to like like visit some of these areas someday like go on vacation and like like tasmania and there's so much beautiful land over in that area you know and and you know, the, the little bit of expo- exposure I've had to Australians that I, I have met and had conversations with uh, has always been good. You know, there seemed like some cool motherfuckers, you know, like, so I would love to go over there someday, you know, and, and have a little vacation, you know, and, and just have a good time and experience some of these areas, man. It'd be great. 
Yeah, for me, Australia is definitely on my bucket list. Um, uh-huh. Agent Ether wanted to go somewhere for our anniversary coming up in November. It's been like a million uh-huh. years at this point, so it's like our millionth anniversary. <laughs> but um, yeah, <laughs> shh, don't tell her I said that. Um, no, but I, I pitched to her. I pitched Australia because I really want to go there. Like, there's so much cool stuff there. It's it's beautiful. They got really cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, on the downside, literally everything is trying to kill you all the time. In fact, that's probably what got these ships is poisonous rocks probably got the ships, right? Because everything's poisonous yeah. there. But no, <laughs> but it, it seems like an awesome place and it's definitely on the bucket list. I, I mean, I'm going to get there sooner or later. Yeah. Uh, Ozzy Mima says- 100%. Says, we are some of the most laid back people you will meet. You must come here. Hell Yeah. Actually, oh hell yeah, I do. Yeah, it might sound stupid, but the first time that I sort of Australia really got on my radar, I'm like, that looks like a badass place. Was when um, I saw the movie a long time ago, it must have been the early 2000s when I saw it, was Jackie Chan's first strike. Because part of that movie, he goes to Australia and he gets like this really swanky hotel room and it's got like a koala bear in there and stuff. and but he goes around and he like talks to some of the people a little bit and stuff. And I was like, just looking at like just the, the scenery there and just how beautiful it is and stuff. I was just, that's what it sort of got on my radar. And then just over time, I've only wanted to go there more, more and more, the more I learn about it. Yeah. It'd be, be a great place to visit. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, my, my only, my only experience with Australians are Australians that have like, when I lived in California, they came over. I just, it, it was a random like interaction, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like it just, I just happened to, as soon as I heard the accent, I was like, you're from Australia, aren't you? And he's like, yeah, mate. <laughs> it was just, it was at a bar in downtown uh, in uh, 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 Brea or was it Fullerton? Was it Fullerton or Brea? I forget. Anyways, no, it must've been Brea, I think. Yeah. 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 No, no. Cause we were going to the, uh, the improv there. You, you remember downtown Brea? Yeah. I used to work right next door to the improv at the movie theater there. Yeah, yeah, and they had they had the uh, that uh, those two different uh, beer spots, those bars. Um, it was either at Taps or at uh, what was the other one? Um, there was a bunch they, they of had like all, uh, they had like a bunch of different selections of beer and stuff like that. The yard, there's a yard house in um, the yard house. That's where it was. But the yard house. That's in Irvine, I thought. No, they have a uh, right next to the uh, the improv there. I'm pretty sure they have a yard house. Maybe I'm mistaking it for taps or, but it was one of those kind of bars. Yeah. At any rate, that's that's where I met I met the uh, this group of dudes, and they're they're just they're cool as shit, dude. Like you know, they're they're super friendly, you know, su- super freaking uh, open to having conversation and stuff. And it was like an effortless experience, you know. Yeah. Hey, it was great. When we go to Australia, we kind of have to do a shoey. <laughs> but yeah i'll do you know hey i'll do a shoey but i, I ain't gonna have anybody else spitting it first yeah, all right no spit i'm not i'm not that so, brave but I, I will do a shoey maybe though. it won't be maybe it won't be a real shoey i guess i don't know but <laughs> you know i'll drink beer out of a shoe it'll be close enough <laughs> yeah part of the bucket list yeah know? yeah when i first heard about that i was like that cannot possibly be a real thing Turns out it is. Oh, no, it is. <laughs> no, it definitely is. <laughs> All right. Well, let's save the rest of this banter for the after hours. I think it's about time to wrap it up for this episode. Thank you, everybody, so much for listening. And can I get a keep it strange? Keep that shit strange. <laughs>